Hello and welcome to Blast Beats and Bicycles. We've got a great uh, show here today. We've got Will Marovellis from Coffin Rights, Plague of Stars, and 1459 Studios. Will, welcome back to the show. Hey, Jason. Thanks for having me. Yeah, great to, great to talk to you again. Um, you know, you've had a lot of a lot of shows coming up of, of late. Uh, in the last few weeks, you've had a number of shows. The last few months, really, you guys have been yep. playing quite a bit, both Coffin Rights and Plague. Yeah, it's uh, it's been really it's been really fun and a little weird to, to get back out there for sure. Um, you know, we're trying to do it in a, in a safe way. You know, mm-hmm. we're uh, we we all did the we all did the jab thing and made sure we're good and we're masks at shows. And we're not playing and that whole thing. And you know, we try and be smart about it, but you know, you can't live in a can't live in a hole forever. You gotta you gotta venture out and and do your thing and. We love music and we love playing for people, so you you just get back on the horse and do your best. I was gonna say, does yeah. it feel like you sort of get back on the bike? Yeah, I mean it's it's a great reference for this show. Definitely, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it, it definitely felt that way. It's the first couple shows we're like, oh, this is weird, and you know now that we're kind of back into it, we're like going, oh, it's just it's just us and masks. It's fine, you know. Yeah, feels like a family reunion. That's that's awesome. And how have the venues responded to the whole thing? You know, it's been bonkers. I will say that I've been been playing shows now for, I'm going to date myself here, I've been playing live shows for, you know, over 20 years at this point. Yeah. And uh, coming back from the pandemic, especially the the, the all-ages shows we've done have been just on a whole other level of bonkers. Wow. You know, and it's it's just been, it's been crazy. The response has been full energy and positive Mm and... Uh, emotional and even at sometimes a little frightening, you yeah. know, uh, with, uh, with, with, with people's anger and, you know, you know, when alcohol's involved, things happen, <laughs> um, you know, that kind of situation. But, uh, you know, it, it feels, it feels like it did before in many ways and feels completely new in other ways. Yeah. So it's a, it's an interesting dynamic, but we're navigating and we're having fun. That's that's great. Yeah. I mean, I can I can say from my own experience, I haven't gone to the see Judas Priest at the Armory. I mean, that was my first show in a year and a half, and it was almost a religious experience. Oh, I bet. And I mean, what better way to come back? Absolutely. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. it was great. I mean, a Priest was my very first concert ever, and nice. so you know that to me was like. Wow, it felt like coming home again. Very cool. Very yeah. cool. And so uh, you just played on Thursday with the uh, annual Krampus show, the Impaler show. Talk yeah, about old, that a little bit. Good old Krampus schnott. Yeah, it's a good time. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, we are uh, Plague of Stars, uh, my, my, my gothic doom blackened whatever the heck we are band was playing <laughs> and, all the above uh, yeah i'm like i don't even know what to call that band we're we're a metal band okay cool yeah there we go um but yeah we are opening up with uh opening up for minnesota's uh, minnesota's guar impaler mm-hmm. and uh our friend semtex were also on the show just a really great time and and you know and oddly enough it was my first time ever playing at first avenue no kidding yeah and all the years i've been playing shows i've wow. never played seventh street or first avenue so that was a big bucket list, cross it off the Definitely. list thing for for me personally. But you know, everybody else in my band was like, "Oh yeah, I've played here," and you know, Melissa and Frodo have both played the main stage and all yeah. that kind of thing. Like, oh, it's just another show, and I'm like, "No, it's not. This is amazing. <laughs> this is a big yeah, deal." Yeah, it was yeah. a really really cool show, and 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 you get there, and I've seen tons of shows at Seventh Street. I've, sure. I've obviously gone to probably hundreds of shows in mm-hmm. in both of the Seventh Street and the First Ave so many times now, and I'm just kind of sitting here going like. Man, the stage the stage feels bigger than it looks when you're actually on it, you know. So yeah. 
So that was kind of cool. But, you know, then Impaler gets on there with all their gear and all their shenanigans, and you go, oh, that stage is actually pretty small. Never mind. <laughs> they, they fill it up pretty fast, <laughs> yeah, don't they? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 900 people on stage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a good time. And how was the crowd? Was the crowd, crowd pretty fun? It was awesome. Yeah, they they uh, they actually did crossover between the Impaler and the Guar show, which, uh, uh, which for people who aren't familiar with the crossover thing is – Back in the early 2000s, uh, they would regularly have locals playing in the entry. At the time, there were national bands going on. And you'd pay a buck or two to basically go into the entry and watch bands between the national bands. And I discovered a lot of my favorite local bands that way. Uh, you know, and go, oh, this band's great. and Or, you know, smaller bands, not just necessarily local bands. There would Mm -hmm. be smaller nationals as well. And uh, they hadn't done a crossover for a show. It seems like forever. Yeah, and I actually asked the, the the staff, and nobody could give me a definitive answer, but all of them said it had been at least six, seven years. Wow! Since they did it, and um, and so it was a little bit of a uh, a little bit of an experiment for First Avenue because they haven't yeah. done it in such a long time, and they said, well. Guarin and Paler kind of make sense, totally, because Guarin and Napalm Death were in the main room. And, uh, and, and I mean, I think it went. I think it went really well. I mean, it's it, that did not feel like a Thursday night show. I will That's say that. Great. Yeah, yeah. It, it definitely felt like a felt like a, a you know a pretty a ruckus Saturday night. Actually, That's awesome. Yeah, it was a good time. Yeah, and uh, like many bands, uh, you guys put out a couple of uh, COVID era covers. Yeah, yeah. Um, did a bunch of fun stuff. Um, but in particular, you put out a couple tunes around uh, the George Floyd murder. We did. Yeah, Coffin Rights, my other band. Um, we. You know, I'm I'm not I'm not going to apologize for you know how I feel or anything like that. It's I don't think uh, doing a Dead Kennedys cover of Nazi punks f off is a uh, political statement. Um, I, I I I think it's pretty safe to say that you know Nazis need to f off. There was a war about it. A lot yep. of people died. Yep. Um, it was not a it was not a shining example of morality in the history of uh, in, in the history of human beings. Right. Um, I think we can all agree that, you know, if we had a war over this, uh, a decision was made and the decision was that type of thinking and that type of motivation was wrong and should be uh, and shouldn't be allowed to exist. So the fact that people were, uh, you know, people took that as a political statement, I kind of laughed at, yeah. you know, I'm like, it's not really a uh, political statement to tell Nazis to right. We don't really want you around. Um, and then we also did a, uh, uh, a Sepultura cover of, uh, Refuse Resist, which, uh, we also stand behind a hundred percent. Um, and you can take that as you wish. It's like, to me, it's institutions are always a bad thing because institutions garner power and power comes from stepping on people who don't have power or taking power away from those uh you know from the individual and turning it into the powers of the institution so you can say refuse resist and that cover was about uh us being you know against uh against police or whatever you want but i think ultimately that song is being against institutions and mm-hmm. that would be being against government that would be being against uh religious institutions uh anything that's quote-unquote the societal political yeah. control mechanism whatever you want to say power for power's sake very much very much and unfortunately somebody had to get murdered and uh and yes murdered is the right word because that police officer was yep. convicted. That's right. So he was he was a murderer, and he is a convicted murderer, and I will stand behind that statement 100%. Yeah. So. 
what's uh, what's been the fan reaction to those tunes? Uh, you know, it's been very positive. Good. It's been very positive. It's like I don't I don't view I don't necessarily view Facebook likes or Instagram follows as a barometer of of uh like how good a band is doing or how much a fan base reacts to you. But I didn't I don't think that there was any negativity or any backlash from it. Um at all like i said i don't really think these things are political statements mm-hmm. i think it's just a sense of what we feel is right and wrong yeah um so i i would say it was very positive and uh good and 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 you know i would do it again i would absolutely do it again um in fact we're planning another another one that's a uh our kind of next political statement if you oh. will uh that will probably come out early next year start recording it hopefully this month we'll see but, yeah. uh, but it's just something that we've just decided to do when we're going to do a tribute song. Mm-hmm. We're just going to do a tribute song that we stand behind the message and and uh, and we believe in it. We're not mm-hmm. just we're not just doing it because it's, uh, you know, because it's a cool song. You yeah, know? it's like we I grew up with Rage Against the Machine. OK, it's, it's just <laughs> like that. It's I remember when Rage Against the Machine came out and they were a new band. You know, I'm, right. again, I'm dating myself, but <laughs> it's uh, it's. You know, sorry, I'm not going to apologize for it. No, that, absolutely no reason <laughs> yeah. to. And, you know, it's interesting. You, you talk about rage and, and uh, the the idea of having politics in, you, in your music has been around for a long time. And especially in extreme metal, there's there's that contingency. And even like in some of the punk movements, there was that super far right, you know, bordering on Nazi and some of it out, outright, you know, white supremacist. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. How, how does a band like yours address that and deal with that in the scene like how does how does the scene cope with that and and try and move it off to the side you know it's it's a really tough question because it's like there's there's this idea of there's this all this idea of like social activism being online and things like that and and then there's this idea of you know bands trying to stay out of politics like Mm -hmm. that whole idea of like there's so many there, it's almost like a buzzword to almost say like you know hey just shut up and play your guitar right you know there's yep. that kind of thing it, it's it's to me as if music doesn't have a message then what are you doing mm-hmm. and, and and like even if i disagree with that message uh, you know music still needs to have some kind of some kind of genuine some genuine thought process behind what you're creating. You have to be able to stand behind what you're creating. I don't necessarily view either of my bands as political bands per se, but we definitely have we definitely have things that we write about that one could argue are political statements. Yeah. Um so I think that I think if people if people have listened to Metallica for 50 years or listened to Judas Priest for 50 years or you know listened to Megadeth for you know well Metallica's only around 40 years sorry <laughs> but you know Megadeth for 40 years or Anthrax yep. any of these bands that have been around for a long time they all have some sort of some sort of message mm-hmm. um and you know it's it's some of it's some of it's leaning more left and some of it's leaning more right and then you have the the you know, then you, you there's a whole genre of metal. It's like there's hate metal. It's a thing. And yep. I'm not you know, I'm not going to mention bands or labels because I'm not going to promote it. Right. But uh, it's it exists and it's out there and it's disgusting. Yeah. Um, but it, it's it, it's one of those things where if we see things that we don't feel are right going on um, and somebody doesn't feel safe at our show, then we're going to address it. Yeah. And that could be anything to do with. um 
personal behavior between somebody who's maybe uh, uh, maybe potentially a sexual predator. Um, you know, we don't really want those folks at our shows, and yeah. we don't want to we don't want to play with people and bands that have been, you know, accused of those things. And it's not to say that allegations are what they are. Everybody deserves everybody deserves to know that allegations are uh, an allegation for a reason. They hasn't necessarily been proven, right? But we we tend to believe the victim. The victim has nothing to gain. Yeah. Um. So you know, and from there, and I, we've definitely, we've definitely had, we've definitely had people who uh, have some beliefs and some uh, uh, some fascist fascist type language they've used online, and we have asked them to leave our shows. And good, you know, and we we intend to continue to do that, and and hope that other people will just say, hey. It's okay if you disagree with me politically. That is okay. It's, uh, you know, it's like, okay, how much money goes to the road system? That's a political question. Right. You know, <laughs> it's, it's interfering with people's personal rights or whether they deserve to, you know, uh, have a different skin color or love somebody different than you you do or live a life that's different than you do. It's like that's that's a different thing. That's a yeah. different thing. And, you know, I think that's one of the things that draws so many people to metal is, the inclusiveness i mean the sort of safe space that it creates for everybody of all persuasions all backgrounds to come together around absolutely music. absolutely and i think that you know and i i i tell people like i grew up in i grew up in the middle of nowhere wisconsin and i will tell you that the 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 first person of color i ever met at uh, the first person of color i ever met was at a metal show yeah the first trans person i ever met was at a metal show no kidding you know um so it, it's it, it's the it's the first gay person I ever met is was was not at a metal show per se, but I've met many of of my you know LGBTQ friends at metal shows and mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. So it's it, it needs to be an invitation for everybody. And you know what? There, there needs to be a dialogue too. Yeah. It's it's way too easy to jump behind a keyboard and just go at whatever you know right whatever topic that the powers that be are trying to distract you from this week everybody Mm -hmm. um it's so they can continue to do what they've always done behind the curtains um you know it's it's we need to stop arguing about politics and start going this is right and this is wrong yep it's and it's a it's a different it's a different discussion. I couldn't I think couldn't agree more. And you know, it's interesting to see you talked about that that conversation. Um, one of the things that I've noticed over the last decade or so in in heavy music is bands really connecting with their audiences in a more integral, direct way, especially on the local scene. I mean, talk a little bit about how you connect with your fans, either for plague or coffin rights. Oh, you know, it's. Uh it's been it's been difficult the last year and a half yeah. <laughs> for sure <laughs> definitely um, uh, almost well over two years now um it's uh it's been a different it's been a different way of approaching uh, you know approaching and making sure that we stay in contact with our with our friends and our fans and our families even you know it's um social media so social media is a necessary evil in many ways um I don't necessarily love social media. I think that social media is anything but social when used incorrectly. Yep. Um, I've I've kind of made a rule with my own personal, you know, my own personal space on on Facebook and you know and Instagram and all that kind of thing. Is I made a rule a long time ago. I only talk about my bands and my studio and shows I'm playing. Mm-hmm. And if I'm about to make a negative comment, I walk away and go, "Do I still want to make a negative comment?" And you, the answer is usually no. Yeah. Because it really doesn't add anything. It's you're basically just. 
you know, I could walk out in my parking lot of this building right now and shout some political thing and it wouldn't change anything. It's basically the same thing on social media. Yeah, definitely. It's just not going to change anything. Yeah. So it's it, and it doesn't mean that it isn't a vehicle for change or isn't a vehicle for activism. That's not what I'm 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 saying at all. But to me, it's I use it as a vehicle to connect with my friends and my family and, and my social circles about music because music is what I love and what's important to me, not just because I play in bands, but because I I enjoy everything that the music community has to offer shows, art, uh, camaraderie, events. Um, you know, there's a lot more that that happens because of the music community other than just going to see my friends' bands play. Definitely. And I think anybody who is a musician or likes going to music shows would feel that way. It's mm-hmm. the majority of my lifelong friends I've met because of music. Yeah. You know, my my the best man at my wedding was somebody that I met when I was 13 playing in music. He happens to play in bands of mine now, mm-hmm. but it was we weren't in the same band back then. We've been lifelong friends, and we just met playing music. Yeah. So. And it seems like more and more social media is is a necessary evil for bands. It is because it's the way everybody you know gathers information. It is, and and the biggest thing is you just try and find ways to, you know, you you try and find new creative ways to connect with people. I mean, like at my studio here, we did some. We did, we did live shows where we did mm-hmm. videos and things like that. And, I mean, it was it was recorded live and that whole thing and then got edited and, and uh, the music got mixed and all that to be released later. But that was something that I never would have seen us doing, yeah. you know, two, three years ago. Um, you know, doing covers on a regular basis, doing just digital singles on mm-hmm. a regular basis. That's something I wouldn't have seen us doing a couple of years ago. Um, you know, doing... Album like like uh you know I I went on my on on my YouTube page for the studio and did a listening party for my you know for Coffin Wright's new mm-hmm. album and talked with people as they were listening to the new record and that kind of thing I wouldn't see myself doing that a couple of years ago right um you know you you just got to find yourself trying new creative things and well especially when yeah. you can't be out in front of people on yeah. stage you know I mean it was uh, so many people need or you know didn't have that outlet that they normally would have yeah. had yeah. And, you know, especially as a as a creator, I mean, you know, I got to scratch that itch somehow. Right. Right. <laughs> and I mean, I paid for digital tickets to see bands. I never yep. thought I would have ever done that. Yeah. You know, and just went, oh, cool. I'll, I like the band Zao a lot. And, mm-hmm. you know, they did a they did a live uh, uh, a concert stream. And I'm like, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll pay the 10 bucks for that ticket. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and find different ways and different experiences that that bands can. You know, you can be a part of the community without necessarily like seeing people live. Yeah. You know, I'm happy live shows are back. I'm I definitely definitely miss that. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it, it's it's new and it's different, and you just have to figure out how to be creative in a new environment. And if there's anything that if I hope, I think it's too early to say this, but I hope that what COVID did is is really kind of made people appreciate appreciate art Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that because i'm an artist i'm not saying that for self-serving purposes i'm saying you know how much did movies matter to us during the during the pandemic how much did you know um digital experiences matter to Mm -hmm. us during the pandemic how much did you know maybe you're having a rough time and you went to your record collection and sat down and just listened to something it's like how drab would our lives be without Without whatever art and medium we all yeah we all enjoy absolutely you know so it's a uh, it's 
it's been a it's been a crazy ride and i think it's going to continue to be a crazy ride and i Mm -hmm. hope that i hope that people continue to adapt and uh, i i really hope that this experience makes people really appreciate those live experiences again instead of the whole you know we were in duluth this weekend um coffin rights was in was in duluth on saturday and um i was having a conversation with um uh with uh 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 uh, Joe from um, Trita, great band by the way. Mm-hmm. Never heard them. Yeah, I have, they um, were on the show. They were, and they're awesome. And uh, and I've I've known those guys for a while. And we kind of joked, we're like, oh, it you know, it took took th- took five years and hundreds of miles for us to finally get a show together. Cool. <laughs> um, and I was just talking to him, and I'm like, oh, and you know, it's like playing in Duluth. It's like this crowd. This, this crowd is just rabid. I they're bet. just rabid. Yeah. And and I'm just going like, man, this is just bonkers, right? <laughs> and. And and we were talking after we got done playing, and um, after both of our bands that had had played for the night, we're just going like, it's just a different energy here. And 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 he kind of hit it right on the head. He goes, you know, when you live in the cities, and you can go to a show seven nights a week, yeah. and go see a good band because mm-hmm. there's tons of good bands in the city. Yeah, you kind of start to take it for granted, mm-hmm. and you go, you know what? I'll go see that band the next time they play. I, yep. I don't really feel like going out tonight. Not to say there's anything wrong. But sometimes you don't want to go out, and that's okay. Yep. But uh, but it's one of those things where you just go, man. I really hope that that kind of like this experience made people really appreciate music again because when it's taken away from you, mm-hmm. that really sucks. I still haven't gone to a movie theater, and I really I miss yeah, that. I I do too. You know, I do so, too. Yep. It's it's interesting. Yeah. And, you know, uh, thinking back in into the COVID times, uh, you opened 1459, the new studio space, right did. in the midst of that. Yeah, I did. <laughs> what were you thinking? <laughs> I wasn't, obviously. <laughs> um, the, uh, you know, it was a... Uh, it was an interesting experience because I had been at my my previous location for fourteen fifty nine in uh, in 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 the good old North Minneapolis. Uh, rest in peace, Broadway Pizza. I loved you so much. <laughs> I will miss you. Um, but uh, I I uh, I had that studio that location for oh man, it was going on twelve years. Wow, it was it was a long it was it was open for a while and uh, and I had that location. I've been looking for a new location for a while, either to buy a building or to rent a new space or whatever it had to be. And it just kind of was where I'm at now, just kind of was the right situation, right time, right move financially, all those things. Made the agreement, had everything all set. And then, of course, this pandemic hit and we're in the middle of construction and mm-hmm. and everyone's kind of going, what if, what if, what if? And, you know, the uh, the the riding wasn't far from here either. Right. And um you know, it was uh, it was it was it was a crazy, crazy time. We we're kind of yeah. going, what do we do? And we definitely, definitely had some, definitely had some moments of fear for I sure. Um, but uh, we just kind of pushed through, and we opened up in uh, June of twenty, and the building's been full, and that just says something to be about the music mus- because uh, we have twenty three rehearsal spaces plus my recording studio in this mm-hmm. building, so the building has been full the whole time. I've got. 30 plus bands creating in this building, 80 musicians creating in this building, 80 plus actually. Um, plus I'm recording bands regularly. That's great. Um, you know, last year was, I don't remember what the number was, but I want to say there was, there was at least 30 projects through the doors. I'd have to go back and count. Wow. But I'm just going, that's a, that's an insane amount of work Yeah. in, in that time. And, I was wearing masks the whole time and it was, mm-hmm. it was crazy. It was, it was a weird time, but it's, uh, 
But, you know, we are still creating. We are still moving forward because all of us were just going at some point, at some point, music is going to be a live thing mm-hmm. again. And it is slowly but surely. So obviously you've, things have been going well. What are some of the things that you've had come through the studio? I mean, talk a little bit about some of the projects that you've done. You talked a little bit about some of those live shows. What else has been happening in the studio? Oh, man, I'm, I'm going to forget so many projects. There's been so much. <laughs> um, so it's, um, yeah, I did Impaler's, I did Impaler's latest record. That's fresh on my brain because we just played with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I did Semtech's latest record. That's fresh on my brain because I just played with them. Uh, we did my own band, Coffin Rights record in that time. Of course, that's a shameless plug. Um, <laughs> the uh, done a bunch of the uh, a bunch of the live shows they were talking about. Um, I did a record for a band from Eau Claire to called Dead Soul Symphony. Did their EP. Um, I am in the middle of uh, a bunch of stuff still right now. <laughs> um, uh, Volsana Saga's uh, album is done. That's going to be great. Um, that is, I'm not sure if that's off the press yet or will be shortly. Fun. Um, I mean, I did, uh, man, I've done some stuff with Witch Den, uh, since then. I mean, God, there's just so many projects. I'd have to like pull up my list and actually like, <laughs> oh yeah, I did that. Oh yeah, I did that. I'm like scrolling with my fake phone in my hand right now. You well, know, the, just, the frame CDs yeah. are covering yeah. all of the walls around. Yeah. Here. And I've got about, I've got, I've got a pile of them sitting on my bookshelf over there that still need to get hung up. You know, it's just, it's, it just was crazy. It's been a, it's, it's been a crazy, crazy ride, but I, I love this room. I yeah. love this room. And my old studio was great, and I'm definitely not knocking it, but it was a converted office space. That's mm-hmm. what it was, yep. and um, I, I fully admit that. This new location is just so much stronger and, and more what I kind of always wanted because this was a pole barn when we got in here. <laughs> you know, I the rooms got built the way I asked them to, yeah. and, you know, the, uh, the, the angles of all the rooms got put in the way that I wanted to. I designed the reflection and filter walls the way that I wanted to. I designed the ISO booth the way that I wanted to. You know, so it's uh, it was it was really nice to finally kind of have a blank slate and go, I can do whatever I want. Yeah. And be able to financially pursue it. So as you built all those things with your own vision in mind, were you consciously creating a 1459 sound or is there something about the way you put it together that you really wanted to reflect what the studio is about? You know, it's. People always tell me they feel like the studio has a sound, and I I know every kind of studio and every engineer kind of has their own sound. Like I can I can hear a Rick Rubin record from a mile away. Yeah. You know I can I can hear a Chris Lord Alge mix from a mile away. I can hear a Terry Date mix from a mile away. Just because it's once you familiarize yourself with how people how people kind of frame their instruments and that kind of thing, it's like yeah, the, the, there's definitely engineers that have their own sound. Mm-hmm. Um, the best compliment I ever got, because I'm not going to sit here and say, this is what I sound like, because I'm, I am I don't really want to toot my own horn kind of thing. So I'll just say what was one of the strongest compliments I ever got. And this is what I tell people when they ask me what they think the sound, studio sounds like. And he just goes, the record sounds like the best live show we've ever played. Wow. And that was, and that was his review of how the studio sounded. Mm-hmm. And I thought that that was a really high compliment. Um, because admittedly, I don't like making perfect records. I don't, I don't line up, I don't line up, you know, drums to a click track in the sense of like griddle, griddle aligning things so that right. it's mechanically machine perfect. I mm-hmm. like having those little flaws, little guitar squeaks, little string noises, you know, little 
gurgles in people's breaths and things like that when they're you know it sounds human and i guess that's the the kind of the kind of music that i like to listen to is the stuff that that still feels real when mm-hmm. you're listening to it not yep. to say that not to say that you know overproduced music doesn't seem real but to my ears it just it feels like it was more of an effort to create that mm-hmm. versus it just being a natural way of making music yeah um so and you know some bands some bands want that you know want that mechanically machine perfect sound and and that's great um i don't necessarily feel like this studio really does that mm-hmm. i want i want there to be humanity mm-hmm. in, in the music that i make and uh and as a result that means it's going to there's it's going to be flawed by nature yep um so i so i guess to answer your question Sure. <laughs> um, you, you know, it, it's uh, I, I, it's it's a goofy question. You know, it, it's um, it's actually a really good question. It's a fair question. It's just something that I don't think I consciously thought of when I was building the space. I just kind of said, "Well, this is the this is how I would like the space to be from a workflow perspective." And I sure. guess that has my signature, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, there are other other studios around town around the Midwest that that focus on heavy music and do a lot of production of, of heavy records. Oh, yeah. Um, how, how do you see 1459 fitting in with, uh, you know, among those other studios? I mean, what are the, how do you compare and contrast? Sure. Well, I mean, thankfully, uh, thankfully most of those studios have an understanding that it's, that it's not a quote unquote competition. Right. Um, most of those studios understand the, the, the thought process that we're all stronger together than mm-hmm. we are as individuals. Yep. Um, so I've, I've, I've been really fortunate to work with some really great studios. I mean, my buddy, Adam Tucker, who runs Signature Tone comes mm-hmm. to mind immediately. Yeah. I mean, um, didn't, didn't Drew do some of the recording? He for did. The new record at Signature Tone? He did. Yeah. Drew, yeah. our, uh, Coffinwright's vocalist, uh, recorded the vocals for, uh, our new album, Human Erase at Signature Tone. Mm-hmm. And the the thought process behind that was to have somebody other than me really kind of be involved in in the music because I was so close to it. Yeah, you know, and and Drew and I talked about it at length and the pros and cons of doing it, mm-hmm. you know, with somebody else and that kind of thing. And ultimately, it was Drew's call, and I think Drew made the right call. Yeah, and uh, he decided that it would be best for the record to. Uh, to have a fresh set of ears on the music, and I couldn't be happier with the end result. That's great. Um, and I mean, I've recorded with Adam numerous times. I send Adam masters all the time. Mm-hmm. He sends me masters all the time. Um, we'll bounce mixes ideas off each other and things like that all the time. It's like we're we're good pals. And I mean, that's just signature tone. I've done stuff with you know, I, I've done stuff with other studios of, hey, I track vocals here and I send it off to somebody else to mix mm-hmm. it or. Hey, you know, stuff gets tracked in, uh, you know, overseas, and everything gets sent here for me to, you know, for me to mix or master it mm-hmm. or whatever it be. It's like, it's really cool to be able to say yes. I've worked on music from all over the world. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm very fortunate to be able to do mm-hmm. that. Um, I'd like to do more of it. So if this somehow reaches somebody in Bulgaria, please send me your music. I'll totally mix <laughs> it. Um, it'll be fun. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah. It's as far as other studios in the Midwest go. It's Ultimately, people need to go. People need to do two things when they need to they need to consider a couple of things when recording, of course. But ultimately, they need to go. Where am I comfortable? That's step one. Mm-hmm. Is where am I going to be comfortable recording? Right. Step two is let's be honest. It's financial. Sure. You know, you have to decide what you can afford and and what's going to give you the best result for your dollar. I think anybody who would argue otherwise is just lying to themselves. Right. And then the other one is location. 
You know, I'm not going to have a band from Florida drive to Minnesota to record. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. Right. There's at least 100 studios on the way. I'm sure yeah. they're going to let's just be let, let's just be frank. I'm not, you know, this isn't a you know, this isn't like a Rick Rubin studio or something right. like that. This isn't like Scott Burns studio yeah. or something like that. You know, if I had the chance to go down and record with Scott Burns, you're, yeah, you, I would absolutely mm-hmm. do it. But uh, financially, that's not really in the cards. Right. right? Yeah. Um, do you. Uh, so I'm, I'm curious. You, you talked about recording the stuff that you did for Coffin here and yep. Plague here. And do you approach personally uh, recording and songwriting for those bands in your space differently than somebody who's on a, on more of a fixed budget. I mean, do you do you take advantage of owning the studio? Oh, of course, to I do. play around, yeah. do more stuff. Of course, I do. I'd be a liar if I said otherwise. <laughs> you know, it, it's I, I I will I will tell people all the time that if I was actually charging, you know, if I was actually charging bands the time that I took on my own band's mm-hmm. project, it's it would it's would be a different thing. Yep. You know, it's um. It's it's nice to be able to when you when you have your own bands to have a creative space and you can kind of go, all right, cool, let's just do this because that would be a cool thing to do. Yeah. Or we should try this and like, oh, that'll be a cool thing to try and that mm-hmm. whole thing. We have that ability and we have that freedom, which is really great. But that's also a double edged sword because at some point you have to sit down and go, wait, enough is enough. <laughs> it's time for this to be done. Yeah, and. Um, there was a lot of things that we did with the coffin album just to try and go like that's this is stupid. You know, it's like this this is not adding to the song at all. It's just right. like it's adding layers for the sake of adding layers just because we're trying to make this studio now. Yep. So there's a lot of things that we went now we're not going to put that on the record just yeah. cuz it started to feel like too much. Yeah. Um so yes, we absolutely take advantage of that. I mean, Plague plays the tracks which obviously those tracks get bounced out of the studio here for us to go play with them live and sure. have the actual instrumentation live and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, absolutely. I totally take advantage of that. And I continue to plan to take advantage of that, and I'm not going <laughs> to apologize for it. <laughs> it's really great to be able to make records regularly on my own dime. You know? <laughs> so how, when you work with a, with a band that doesn't have that luxury, yeah. how, do you, how do you work with them to try and make sure that they maximize your time with them? You know... Uh, I tell people all the time that I'm going, if you need a break, tell me, because otherwise I'm just going to keep working you. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I've, uh, <laughs> it's really funny when you work with a band, when you work with a band this is the second time, like I'll use Semtex as an example. So I've done this, is, I've worked with Semtex now twice. This mm-hmm. is their second record. And the first time, the first time I'm recording Mike Curran, their drummer, who's a wonderful human being, you know, he's going, he's just sitting there going like, plays one song i think he's on his like i think he was on his eighth or ninth take of the song and wow. i'm going like all right man we got enough and he goes no nah, I, I gotta keep going i'm like no nah, man i'm telling you you're good <laughs> and he's just all right let me hit it again i'm like okay i'll let you hit it again but i'm telling you right now man you don't need it all I'm right not cool. recording <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm, i did record it i'm like i'm not i'm not that much of a sadist but uh the um <laughs> i am a sadist though uh the it's uh, half my I always tell bands to I'm like half the fun of being a recording engineer is you get paid to harass people it's great <laughs> um, but so he records it again and like on this record uh, on this record it was uh, it, it was it was a lot different because he, he heard the results from the last record and I'm going yeah you know that song you played 15 times I only used three of the takes <laughs> you know he goes you've got to be kidding me and I'm like yeah I only used three of the takes and this is the result we got yeah. it sounds great and he's like yeah so on this record he's on take number four of a song and he goes do I need to do another one or am I done <laughs> you know <laughs> and I'm like going yeah you got one more then we'll be good okay cool you know <laughs> just a just a little more in that respect but as far as the budget goes, I kind of just line up everything with everybody in such a way that I go, hey, 
in order to achieve what you guys want to achieve on the budget you have, this is how long it should take mm-hmm. if you're prepared. And that's the big thing that because I don't charge per hour, I charge per I charge per project. Mm-hmm. So I have to put bumpers on things, sure. not only to have myself not get, get taken advantage of, but also make sure that it kind of scares bands in the submission a little bit. <laughs> and I will tell you that charging per project, in my experience, has has yielded much more much more positive results and a lot less stress as a result. Because when a band is sitting there going in ten minutes, we have to pay for another hour. They're not really thinking like that if it's per project, right. and generally they're going to execute what they want to execute with less stress, more yeah. efficiently, yeah. if they're prepared. And I'm sure if. that that affects the the outcome of the final record. It absolutely does. Yeah. It absolutely does. Yeah. But the biggest thing is it's it's a, it's a two-way street. It's like the band's got to come in and be ready. Mm-hmm. I set the expectations. If the band is uh, going over set expectations, which has happened before, I set aside and I direct at them and I go, we're, we're off we're off the plan at this yeah. point. So we need to talk about where we're at financially. We need to make sure that we're going to have a plan and work it. And uh, it, it it still happens occasionally, and I will tell you that, and thankfully, when we've ran into that situation, most of the bands are usually going, yeah, we agree. Yeah. We agree. Let's, you know, it's a, it's a team effort. Let's get through it together. I'm sure they can feel it too. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, and they're kind of going, yeah, you know, Shouldn't probably have taken us this many days to finish these vocals. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 a thing. Yeah. We'll get it done. And I'm like, oh, and look, it's we're going to talk about it. We're going to be a team. We're going to get through it. Yes, you're going to compensate me. Yes, it's business, all yeah. those things. But here's the plan. Do you feel that's reasonable and work mm-hmm. through it together? Yeah, it makes makes sense. Yep. We've talked a few times about Coffin Rights and the new record, Human yep. Erase. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about the band. You've been around for about five years now. Yep. Um, how has your music evolved now with Human Erase? Oh, it's huge. Um, you know, as everybody wants to talk about their latest project being their being the best representation of the band, you know, and every band wants to say that. And uh, you know, I can say that with absolute, absolute certainty that I feel that way. It's when we started the band, we were very much trying to find out who we were. Mm-hmm. We all had very different musical backgrounds and we were just trying to kind of throw it into a pile and go all right what's it going to sound like And i'm very proud of our first record Mm -hmm. i don't dislike our first record i don't feel it's a poor misrepresentation i think it's an excellent representation of where we were at that time in our band's life and i'm proud of it i'm stoked on it i think it sounds great i'm proud of those songs i still i we still perform some of them regularly i think they're great songs what was different about this record is we had spent a lot of time together in a van at that point. Mm -hmm. We had spent a lot of miles together. We kind of knew who each other were a lot more. We knew how to push each other's buttons, but we also know where to draw the line and like on how we respect each other Mm -hmm. and things like that. Um, Our communication skills got a lot stronger. So our, we all had a, a more cohesive understanding of how to work through material together. Mm. I will say openly that the first record kind of felt more like, it felt more like me and Eric, our original guitarist, you know, Eric and my kind of vision for what we thought the band should be, mm-hmm. where this record was much more about where the six of us, meaning Eric, our original guitarist, and Taylor, our new guitarist, because Eric was involved through the entire process of mm-hmm. this record, um, despite moving to California halfway through. He was involved the whole time, and he was an active part. Taylor came in in October of 20 and basically took us through the rest of the way. So it was very much the six of us really kind of honing out what we wanted this record to be. Um, Tom's a punk kid, hardcore kid. 
you know, you can hear that influence in 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 the band. Um, I was I was always referred to myself as the metal kid in a punk community. So I love <laughs> punk rock music. I love hardcore music. But I was always playing death metal, and mm-hmm. my previous band was very straight death metal. So we've evolved more into some of those aspects of things. I'm also a big thrash fan. Um, Taylor and Eric are gigantic thrash fans. You can hear a lot more of that. Yeah. Drew comes from a black metal background. You can definitely hear that on the mm-hmm. new record. And, you know, for the last two and a half years, it's Tom and Drew and me have all been playing each other different black metal stuff that we like and, you know, kind of getting that influenced. Um, Casey comes from a uh, Casey comes from more of a metalcore background. Um, and in a lot of, and I don't mean this in a bad way, a lot of that radio rock stuff, a lot mm-hmm. of like the 93X rock and stuff like that, he digs a lot of that stuff. And, uh, and some of that influence even showed up in some, you know, dare I say catchy choruses and things <laughs> like that. Um, so it, it's, it definitely feels more like our record versus, you know, Eric and my record that everybody else played on. Yeah. Because that's that's definitely how I feel Human Erase. Human Erase to me feels like it's our record. Nice. And um and, and I mean that sincerely and I think it's a wonderful representation. I think the strong the songs are all super strong. Mm-hmm. And um honestly I'm I'm a little fearful of what we're gonna do next because I'm so proud of the record. <laughs> I'm going like, oh, where yeah, do we crap. go from here? Well, what do we do now? So <laughs> we'll figure it out. How how was it bringing Taylor into the band? I mean he he joined in what, June? Right. He joined in October of, uh, I think he joined in November of 20 officially. We had, okay. tr- we had tr- uh, tryouts and we also had trials in the middle of a pandemic. That was fun. Good um, times. Yeah, good times. Um, uh, honestly, it, I don't think I've actually ever said this to Taylor, so I hope he actually listens to this and, like, and hears this. I think Taylor feels like he just feels like he's been in the band the whole time without even realizing it. Wow. You know, it's like his personality is I played in bands with Eric on and off for 20 years. Mm -hmm. Eric and I went to college together and, and we were in multiple bands together and, and and things like that. So it's like him and I kind of knew how to work together. Sure. When Taylor came into the band, it felt like we didn't change. That didn't change at all. It was, it was just like this very weird, like, holy crap, he's just the right guy for the band. It's like when we brought him on, we were feeling really good, and now yeah. that he's been in the band for over a year at this point, we're sitting here going like, he feels like he's been in the band the whole time. It's That's crazy. fantastic. It's crazy. And, I mean, he's he's quite a bit younger than the rest of us, but, you know, as as, as I always say, it's like I'm an, Im- I'm an immature old man, and he's a very mature young man, <laughs> uh, so it seems to work out pretty well. That's great. Um, and, you know, the record's been out now for, what, five months? Is that right? September so uh, four, September tenth. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So just a couple yeah. of months, really. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Uh, what's been the fan reaction? You've had a number of live shows. You talked about. Oh, it's it's the the fan reaction's been crazy. Um, you know, it's we haven't thankfully we haven't had a we haven't had a bad show yet. That's fun. you know, and and people gauge shows in different ways. I, I don't, you know, I'm not talking about like merch sales or anything. We haven't had we haven't had a show that didn't feel great. Cool. Since we put this record out and, you know, we played a lot of different stages, different sizes, different rooms, that kind of thing. Some national shows, some, you know, like we played on the floor in Duluth, uh, you know, on Saturday Fun. and it was a blast. And it's like, hey, there's no stage and there's and there's there's a pretty DIY sound system. Go. It's awesome. <laughs> you know, it's we haven't had a bad show. The reaction's been great. And, Good. you know, people seem to dig stuff. It's like I was at I was at the the Impaler show on on Thursday night, and I was just hanging out, waiting to go to the bathroom, and this dude comes walking by in a Coffin Rights hoodie, and I'm just sitting there going, like, 
All yeah. right. All right. Cool. That's, that's kind of cool. Never met the guy. Seriously. Wow. Never met him. You know, that's it's, great. he's uh, he came to the show that we played with Agony Reigns for their CD release show. And he came to that show and he goes, yeah, you guys were awesome. And I'm like, so he recognized me to boot and I'm wearing a mask and I'm like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> this, this, you know, I'm like, but cool. You know, it's yeah, cool. Weird. Absolutely. But, but still a little strange. <laughs> that That's really fun. I mean, there is such a, a thriving extreme music scene here in, in town. Oh, yeah. And it's got to be energizing for you to be able to connect with that and play in those different venues with so many different great bands around. It's great. I mean, the Midwest has always been a hotbed for for good creative good creative music in general. But I mean, metal and heavy music in the in you know in kind of the five state region here is pretty strong yeah so we're just happy to be here man i tell you it's <laughs> just like we're just having fun well and you've had the opportunity to share the stage with some big big acts along the way and many and, uh yeah. you know as you continue to think about the band's future where do you see yourselves taking the band tours <laughs> you know uh i would love to i'd love to I'd love to get out to the coast. I'd love to do a southern tour. You know, I'd love to, I'd love to get out of Dodge. I love it here, um, but I think it would be really cool to go do the dirt circuit in the south. Mm-hmm. I think it'd be a blast to go to the east coast and play some of those. You know, some of those. Uh, you know, like Saint Vitus would be really cool yes. if we could if we could do that. You know, um, I've been fortunate to play the Whiskey a Go Go uh, personally, not with either of these bands, but I'd be love to go to the west coast and, mm-hmm. and play some of those iconic venues and that kind of thing. Yeah. It's, Ultimately, we just kind of want to go anywhere where people will dig our music, and mm-hmm. if that's in a barn, we don't care. If that's in a basement, we don't care. If it's at, you know, if it's at a legendary club in a legendary city, then awesome. We yeah. just we just want to play music for people that appreciate music, and if they dig the music, then awesome. That's and and, and I mean that. It's just the whole reason that I play music is just for that forty five minutes on stage of like just that energy, and you go, oh. That three-hour drive was totally worth that, that like, 35 yeah. minutes. It was totally fun. You you take as much from the crowd as you give to them, yeah. I got to believe. Yeah. 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 It's awesome. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I want to give the, the uh, folks a chance to listen to a few of the songs yeah, on, on the do. record. Um, the first one I want to play for people is the first record, first song on the new record, Buried in Blood. Ah, yes. Talk yes. a little bit about that song. Buried in Blood. Oh, what a great song that is. Um, so that was uh, that was Eric's song. And and the funny thing is our position in the band has kind of always been Eric would be the riff writer and I would kind of help arrange the songs or I would write riffs and arrange the songs. I was kind of always the arranger kind of no matter what. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eric always had just killer strong riffs across like all of our bands. And he sends me Buried in Blood, like literally the demo of Buried in Blood with like like fake like demo drums and he sends it to me. And this is... Uh, this is maybe like a year a year before we started writing the record. I think that may have been like the third song we wrote for the record. Wow. And uh, and he sent it to me. And this has never happened in the history of us playing together. He sends it to me, and I'm going, I wouldn't change anything. Leave no, it exactly the way it is. And, that's, and anybody who knows me and the control freak that I am, they would laugh at that statement. <laughs> but that was literally the whole thing is I go, I wouldn't change anything. I leave it exactly the way it was. So the way that it's arranged now was the first way that Eric showed it showed it to me. Um, other than having real human beings, real drums and that kind <laughs> right, of thing yeah. and, and all that kind of thing. But yeah, it's very much Eric's song and it's, it, I think it's, it's really crazy not having him like officially in the band anymore to like sit here and go like, yeah, that might be one of my, that might be my favorite song on the record. Yeah. Wow. Um, and I, I, 
And it's a great way to start the record because it's fast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it gets into gear very quickly. Yep. All right, well, let's uh, let's drop the needle on it. This is Buried in Blood by Coffin Rights.
So you talked a little bit about the speed of that song. Yeah. Uh, it, it just blasts right out of the gate, which yeah. is a perfect way to start the record. But there's a lot of time signature changes in that thing. Talk a little bit about that structure and the arrangement that you talked about prior to the, the song. Oh, the, cra- the crazy thing is that song is, uh, it doesn't feel like it, but that song is actually one tempo all the way through. It's, is it really? Yeah, it is. It's actually one tempo the whole way through. It's it's one wow. beat map the whole, I don't remember what the actual tempo is, but it is one all the way through. But it doesn't feel like that when no, you listen to it because of the, dy- the dynamic shifting that's going on. Yeah. Um, and a lot of that is the drums and the final, the, the kind of final arrangement that mm-hmm. Tom brought to it. Yep. Um, that was really cool because I think that song really, that song really gave Tom an opportunity to really shine. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that the, the the guitar arrangement and the skeleton was really strong out of the gate, and then when you add in all of the other elements that that low end from Casey's bass and and the crazy drumming that that Tom's doing, and Drew's just wonderful vocal lines, mm-hmm. uh, it it's just. It's crazy, but it just it moves. It's a it's a solid four and a half minutes. It's yeah. a good time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, one of the things too that struck me is there's some counterpoints in the yep. in the song, right? There's you know, you guys plodding along in the in the background and and Taylor just shredding yeah. insanely fast over the top. Yeah. And then there's a couple of seg- uh stanzas where, where Drew is really dropping some some vocals, but it's completely I mean, it's not completely opposite of what's going on behind him, but yet it feels like there's a real counterpoint. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of guitar. There's a lot of guitar in that song. Like yeah. if you really like drill down into the layers, if we're talking about lovely studio ear candy stuff, there's a lot going on yeah. in that song. There was um, it, it's it. There's a lot of really strong ideas and trying to recreate it live. It's been really interesting to go. Okay, well, how are we going to do this part here, and how I are we going to do this part? Because it was written on a seven string, and after all these years, I refuse to still play a seven string. Um, Taylor, <laughs> That's old school. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> honestly, I've tried. I've I've owned lots of seven strings. I'm not dissuading anybody and go seven strings. Are, I'm just I'm just I'm an old dog, and I can't be taught new tricks. Um, you know, I, uh, I I take the carcass method of going just tune a six string down and go. Um, and play a, gu- a guitar as God intended. Right? Yeah. <laughs> well, we're definitely not doing that. <laughs> but the uh, but but the funny thing is, like, there there's a pretty integral part that that's that's happening on that guitar, and because of the way that tuning and structure works, it needs to be played on a seven string because of you know you can't play it, you you just can't play it structurally uh, any other way, hmm. and. And the funny thing is, is like we're going, how are we going to recreate that? And how are we going to recreate that? And I had a seven string for a while and I'm going, man, it seems so silly to like play seven string for one song. Right. You know, so I found this one wonderful little pedal that did what I needed it to do <laughs> so that I can just jump it up an octave for like that one part so that Taylor can play the solo and he doesn't come out of the solo to go into this riff that, you know, is really right. high, like way farther on the neck. And I'm going like, okay, cool. I'm going to use this pedal and trick everybody that I'm using a seven string for 30 seconds in the song. Pay no attention to my yeah, left hand right it's now. It's just like, it's look over here, people. Um, but, uh, but it's just, it's, it's like that wonderful, that, that wonderful, you know, that, that wonderful trickery that you can come up with to recreate something live is yeah, pretty cool. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, it's it, it was uh, the arrangement was so strong. It feels like it's jumping a lot, and it's actually not. It's one tempo the whole way through. <laughs> uh, another another one of my favorite songs on the on the record is the "Killing Time and Space." Oh, thank you, thank yeah. you. That is that is uh, if if Eric's best song on the album is "Buried in Blood," I think "Killing Time and Space" is my best one. Yeah, the, yeah, I love that song. Um, yeah, that was the. 
that was the last one we wrote together as a no, we wrote that when we were in uh we wrote that when we were all in isolation, so we were all writing songs back and forth at that point. Hmm. But I really feel like it's a band song because I because uh, we arranged it meaning the meaning the five of us arranged that song a bunch of different ways while we were actually not practicing. Interesting. So like Tom was and I I'm like it's all coming back to me now. I remember Tom actually sending us drum videos of him playing the song at his house. Hmm. And going, okay, cool, so if I do this on the guitar to match what Tom's doing there. Um, so, yeah, that was really interesting. We got together and played it for the first time. was like three or four weeks before we were, before we were actually going to start recording. So we had barely played that song live. Well, I mean, we never played it live right. until the record was out. Even but, with each other. But with each other, it was we played it maybe five or six times before recording it. Wow. So, but yeah, I love that song. And Taylor's solo on that was actually part of his tryouts. There's a little secret. No kidding. Um, yeah. So there was a, there was a couple, there was a couple people that we were, we were kind of looking back and forth on and, and going like, okay, let's just have them like, just write a solo for this part. Cause there's this like minute and a half solo section yeah. and I'm going, and Drew's like, we should do a solo there. And I'm going, oh man, I am not that good, <laughs> dude. No way. And he goes, nope. Get goodwill. We're doing a solo, and I'm going like, well, I'm going to pawn this off on the next guy. Then no problem. So we there's made, guys for that sort of thing. Yeah, there's yeah. It's like yeah, I have a way around this. Hey Taylor, <laughs> this is going to be part of your tryout, and and he like made this just ripping solo that he just sent to us on an iPhone wow. of him playing because the track was re- was recorded by that point, and uh, and he just sent a ripping ripping solo, and he said, yeah, is this good for a tryout? And all of us looked at each other and went. You know, like, yep. it just like looked at each other and went, this guy is amazing. Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, so that solo in, in the middle of the song is just Taylor and just rips it, just rips it. And that's what the solo ended up being recorded on the album too, was, was that one. So that's fantastic. Yep. Well, let's, uh, let's drop it. This yeah. is Killing Time and Space by Coffin Rights.
you know, one of the things that I really enjoy about that song, you talked a lot about the, the solo, but uh, it has a real heavy doom feel to me. Yeah, yeah. It's... We write. We wrote some slow stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I I really dig that. It's a it, it's a real uh, change from the rest of the record. I mean, there's so much, especially coming into that song, yeah. which is early in the in the order. Yeah, and yeah. it's you know you just come right at it, and then you drop down into that doom vibe, and it's really an interesting. Yeah, it's definitely got that. It's got that kind of doomy, kind of hardcore vibe going on for sure. And um, you know, it's like. I'm in a doom band too. I'm in a, a band called Chalice of Suffering, which is a rad studio project where I, I'm the guitar player in that band too. But uh, that's very much a doom band. But it's the doom elements from that band have definitely started finding its way into other places in my <laughs> in my bands just uh, just by virtue of being exposed to that and becoming a becoming a doom fan as a late bloomer in life. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's been a lot of fun to to kind of incorporate some of those elements and some of those kind of just slower, chunky driving parts, you know. Mm-hmm. It feels it feels just as much like old-school hardcore, too. And, I mean, Tom is just beating the crap out of the kit in that yeah. part, too. So yeah. It's know. interesting. You know, it makes me think back to a comment you made earlier about this being sort of a full band record. Yeah. And all of your influences coming to play in within the songs, across the, the whole record, how do you manage all of that influence and make it come out whole? You know, I don't really think it's conscious sometimes, you know, you, you, you just, you, there's emulation and then there's copying and there's influencing and then there's ripping off and all those lovely. And it's, like, I mean, let's just face it, man. Any metal musician who can't admit this in public is lying to themselves. We were all just ripping off Tony Iommi, and we all know it, okay? <laughs> it's like, I'll flat out admit it, yeah. man. You know, it's like I've been ripping that guy off my entire <laughs> life, and I think all of us have been. Um, but as far as the as far as like the influence in the bands, you know, I think if you just communicate without taking anything personally, mm-hmm. those things just kind of happen. Mm-hmm. And as I've gotten as I've gotten older, I'm still very opinionated, and I still have first impressions about things. In fact, uh, in fact, "Heart of Darkness," uh, one of the songs on the record, uh, Casey, our bass player, wrote that song, hmm. and um, and and I helped him arrange it. And I even said to him, "I'm going. I don't know if this is a Coffin Wright song. I don't know if it is." And I and I openly will admit that in public, and I've said it numerous times. I'm going. I just don't know if this is a Coffin Wright song. I just don't know. And Tom and Drew were like, no, this is a Coffin Right song. This absolutely is a Coffin Right song. Just, you know, let it go. Because it's, I wasn't arguing for or against it. I just was feeling, I just wasn't feeling like it was, Tied it, to it, who it you felt were. like us at, at the time. Yeah. And then like, Tom's like, just wait till you hear my drum part. It'll make total sense. And I'm like, okay. And so we went to practice, and the first time I heard his drum part, I'm like, oh, it's a Coffin Wright song. I'm going to shut up. <laughs> it, it felt like us as soon as Tom was drumming on it, and then as soon as Drew was doing vocals on it, it felt like us. Even though the original original skeleton of it, I was going, which I helped arrange, yep. I was sitting here going, is this us? Yeah. And, you know, I'll admit it, I was wrong. I love that song, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. And, I mean, it, it strikes me that the, the songwriting process is really collaborative with you guys. It is. It is. And it's uh and and we're pretty fortunate to have it that way. It's it's 
we write it's like in the world of technology we use it obviously I, I own a recording studio so it's like I, I write a song I send people the song with a click track on Pro Tools sure. and, and I send it to people and go hey what do you think of these riffs what do you think of this arrangement and everybody kind of weighs in on that point and then we we go okay cool and we come up with an arrangement that we all like as a dry thing then we go play it together and we go oh okay now it's starting to we start to kind of like let's do a transition here or maybe it'd be cool to do this type of drum beat instead of this type of drum beat mm-hmm. or maybe it'd be cool to have a bass break here or whatever it ends up being and then it becomes like ours at that point yeah and then we just work on it and we work on it until we feel it's right and then we just you know record it and hopefully it's cool <laughs> so after you get through that that live experience with the song after you've gone through the initial arrangement how close typically does that finished product end up being to the original concept uh you know every every song's a little bit different um buried in blood ended up being really close to the original concept um i would say that heart of darkness the way that i heard it was drastically different hmm. um Human Erase, I had no idea because, you know, that song, you know, that song we actually finished in the studio. Um, And, I mean, like Last Nail in the Coffin, we finished that song in the studio, too. So we didn't really have any preconceived notions for those songs. So, I mean, from a skeleton perspective, I would say they always grow. They they always grow. And once you actually add real instrumentation and real players, it's they 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 kind of take on their own life at some point. Sure. arrangements i don't know sometimes they change completely sometimes they stay exactly the same so it just depends on the song and we just let the song tell us where it should go yeah you you mentioned human erase which is the first single and the title track Mm -hmm. it's also the last song on the album which is exactly how you ordered uh retribution divine yeah you know we we i guess we didn't really think about that (laughs) um the uh it's we basically said like we we kind of always felt like all the records that we grew up with like all the last songs were always like the the quote unquote epics and I don't mean epic by long I mean epic by just the best they they yeah they just they felt like they they felt like a finishing statement yep you know like the injustice for all like Dyer's Eve song yeah you know I'm like going it's it's Metallica's a band that's always had really strong like ending mm-hmm. tracks for that reason you know but Human Erase was uh. That song is that's that's a song that I've had kind of kicking around for a couple of years because I always kind of went, this feels like it's too heavy for Plague of Stars and feels like it's not heavy enough for Coffin Right. So mm-hmm. I've had some of those riffs kicking around for a while, but never really finished it. And then literally we're sitting here going, man, we need one more song for the record. And I had a bunch of riff ideas and I sent them over to Drew. And he he ended up picking like these riffs, and he goes like, I think these riffs are really strong, and they're really different than everything else on the album. Mm-hmm. So it'd be kind of cool to pursue that and see where it goes. And so I came in here into my studio, and we're sitting at fourteen fifty nine studios right now. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, we came into my my studio here, and uh, and literally just I sat down with the guitar, and an hour and a half later, I had that song done. Wow! And that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Um. It, it's usually one of those things where, and I mean, the songs, the songs close to eight minutes too, so it's not mm-hmm. short. Um. But it, it just kind of was a spur of the moment. This is the right time to finish the song. It just mm-hmm. felt like the organic time just kind of took over and let it go. And I sent the arrangement to the band, and the band was like, "Okay, cool. Let's let's do this little thing here." And other than that, let's let's just let's see where it goes. And the first time, the first time I heard drums on that song was in here recording it with wow. Tom. Um, and we ended up really finishing that song in the studio 
Like like we hadn't even we had not played any of it together before we finished recording it. No kidding. And uh, it was it was a really really cool experience. I bet to just kind of see it come to fruition. We've only played it live a handful of times just simply because of the length of the song. I was going to say, yeah, it's a long song for a show. Yeah, but uh, it's it's a really strong song, and I would like to play it at more shows. We just uh, typically we typically don't play over 40 minutes, and that would be close to a quarter of our set time. Right. So. you got a lot of other stuff to get to. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. As you as you kind of map out the songs as you're recording them, are you already – do you have a plan for the song order on the record in your mind, or does that flow organically as the songs come to life? You know, not not really. I mean, it's like the album's a loose concept. It's I would not call it a concept album, but it's a loose concept of humanity's terrible and we all know it. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the loose concept of the album, but uh it, it's the I mean, as far as kind of how the album order went, it was our last album, we we I don't want to say that we had an argument about it, but there's definitely a lot more back and forth about what the album order should be. It's like, oddly enough, with this album order, Drew's Drew's and Tom's and my album order were almost identical. Interesting. You know, it's like everybody said Buried in Blood should open and Human Erase should end. Yeah. And we all kind of knew that just by once we heard all the songs. Sure. But we kind of went, okay, well, how does the rest of the song, how does the rest of the album flow? And it, it just, it kind of just felt natural, especially with the two instrumentals and how those were going to, those were going to flow. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it's not something that we really like. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna map out an album according because I, I think that we try and let the music kind of tell us what it needs yeah. versus what we want to try and force the music to to have it mean. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of I guess it just kind of happens organically for us. It's there's great bands out there that write great concept albums. I just don't know if we're one of them. Yeah, you know. Yep. <laughs> so, well, let's give people a chance to listen to Human Erase. This is the final track and the title track off the latest Coffin Rights record. Cool.
All right, Will. So we've just got a few minutes left. Um, I wanted to kind of find out a little bit more about what's uh, what's coming up for Coffin Rights. What do you guys have planned for 2022? Man, we're gonna travel. We're gonna travel a lot. Um, we've got a lot of uh, we got a lot of uh, out of state shows coming up. Um, out of area shows coming up. Uh, gonna try and get out on the road a little bit. Ideally, we want to do we want to do a tour of some kind this summer. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're gonna see what that means and how that maps out. Um, we're not sure if it's gonna be West Coast or East Coast or South. We're not sure yet, um, but we do want to go on tour to support the album, if not a couple of tours. Um, but our plan is to just get out of Dodge and and, and go play and uh, really just support the record and, and, and do that whole thing. So Coffin's going to be busy playing shows and yeah. uh, opening up some cool national shows as well. So That's great. Yeah, you've got a big uh, two-stage show coming up the day after Christmas in Lacrosse. We do, yeah, my hometown. The uh, We're going to be going to be playing there with a bunch of other bands, with a bunch of not metal bands too, so that'll be fun. Interesting. Um, as a uh, as a very, very astute metal fan, I will tell you there's nothing more boring than a 25-band death metal fest. It's an, <laughs> you know, there's only so much blast beats you can enjoy, although I enjoy a lot of them. At some point, you're just blasted out. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be kind of cool to go play. Uh, there's, there's hardcore bands. There's a couple, like, there's a couple rappers on the show. Uh, there might be a shoegaze band or two, so wow. it's going to be a pretty interesting show. Um, be a lot of fun. Our friends, uh, our friends in Rig Time set that up every year, and they're a fantastic hardcore band. If you're not familiar with them, um, so that's kind of their tradition every year. They're actually on tour most of the year, wow. all the time. They, you know, they get in a van and they just go. Fun. Um, but uh, yeah, they always book the show and they ask us to play this year, so we said, sure, let's go do it. That's great. Um, but yeah, we're gonna be we're gonna be all over the place. We're gonna be in Madison. We're gonna be in Fargo, trying to get to Chicago. You know, try and get back to Sioux Falls. Try and get back to Omaha. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, try and uh, try and do some traveling. I'd love to go south again. Get back to Kansas City and uh, and and just kind of some of these places that we've played and uh, just get out of Dodge and let people hear the record and hopefully dig the record and. All that good stuff. So that's what Coffin's doing. Plague's going to write a new album and play some shows. And Great. You know, keep doing that. The studio's going to keep on keeping on. So we'll where, just... where do people find the music? Where do they where do they find uh, Human Erase? All right, you can get that at you can get that at coffinrights.bandcamp.com. So if you can't remember that, just search Coffin Rights at Bandcamp. Pretty same thing. <laughs> Go ahead and do that. Uh, Human Race is also uh, supported by FTWNU2 Records. Uh, that's FTWNU2Records.BigCartel.com. You can grab it from them. We've got merch at both those stores. Nice. I can uh, only imagine what that acronym stands for. Uh, yeah, I can't <laughs> say it on the radio what that stands for. Um, Something the world and yeah, you also? Yeah, is and that? you too, yeah. Uh-huh. F the world, fill in the blank. <laughs> F the world and you too. Um, yeah, that's what that means. Uh-huh. And uh, you're an astute observer, sir. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they're, uh, they're a fantastic label. Really great supporter of the album. And, and a great supporter of our music in general, um, so it's really cool, uh, a really cool label supporting us. So that's uh, great. Go grab that album from either Bandcamp or the uh, or the label. We don't care, you know, wherever you want to buy, it's cool. We just appreciate you checking it out. And and where do people find uh, information about upcoming shows and that kind of thing? 
Uh, Bandcamp. Bandcamp's the best place. Bandcamp has kind of become our unofficial official website because uh, somebody hasn't done a good job of talking to somebody about finishing their website. <laughs> uh, that's an inside joke between myself and Jason. <laughs> um, but uh, as of right now, it's the Bandcamp page. Um, so go ahead and, and follow that. You can follow us on the old Gram and TikTok and Facebook and all those lovely other socials too. So you can uh, you can do that and go watch our silly videos and you know listen to our silly music stream it see the, some new videos we do have a new music video coming out uh january 4th uh we'll be announcing uh that coming up so go ahead over to our socials and follow us and you'll be able to see that fantastic well will it's been great to catch up with you again thanks yeah. for being on the show yeah jason thanks for having me you bet